Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. No jobs upon graduation? Latest data show China's surveyed urban unemployment rate has climbed to 20.4 percent in April for young people aged between 16 and 24. That's the highest since the data started to be collected in 2018. It made international headlines, drawing attention to China's efforts to spur economic recovery after three years of disruptions as a result of COVID-19. Meanwhile, today is the first day of nationwide unity. Unified university entrance examinations in China. Nearly 13 million students will be battling it out on paper to make their way into a university. It's always been a highly anticipated time for millions of families here since the exams were reintroduced in 1977. But with the job market looking so bleak for fresh graduates, a university degree seems far from enough for lending. In a decent job, how severe exactly is youth unemployment in China? What accounts for the number, and what measures are being taken to address the issue? I'm pleased to be joined from Jinghua, East China's Zhejiang Province, by Professor Tang Li Ping of the College of Foreign Languages at Zhejiang Normal University, and Tian Ge, a postgraduate student from Beijing Foreign Studies University. Ladies, welcome to the point. It's indeed a pleasure to have. Have、uh, two females on our show, so let's first take a look at the situation of、uh, the evolvement of the unemployment、uh, figure, and we're going to take a look at this chart, and we can see that.、Uh, Over the past five years, since such number has been collected, 2023 is actually looking、uh, quite uh, uh, prominent in terms of youth unemployment. For the month of April, for instance, this has already gone over 20 percent, whereas in the year、uh, 2020 or 2021, the number were lower. So、um, let me go to Professor Tang here. Exactly from your understanding and observation, how severe is the situation? Concerning unemployment rate of、uh, young people aged between 60 and 24, I think this is a very、uh, serious problem,、uh, considering the record high、uh, rate of youth unemployment, and many graduates and young people、uh, face job markets with no jobs, so they have a lot of frustrations. Just because they are frustrated, so their families are unhappy. So maybe、uh, this is a serious problem,、um, and maybe this is linked to, yeah, yeah. yeah、uh, based on past, ex- based on past experiences, the number would probably go even higher in July and August, with the influx of、uh, fresh college or university graduates. So, so what are your estimates for the coming few months, Professor Tang? Uh, so I got a number about eleven point six million. Our、uh, fresh graduates、uh, graduate from universities and enter the job market. So maybe there will be a peak point of youth unemployment. 
Tenga, let me go to you. What is your personal experience? You are in the last year or year three of your postgraduate studies. What is on your mind at this moment as you are about to make the choice between whether to go into the job market or whether to pursue further studies? What are you thinking? What are the considerations you are making? Okay, so I'm now in my second year of postgraduate studies, and I'm gonna finish it in just one year. And、uh, for myself, I think I'm still、uh, relatively optimi optimistic in the process of job hunting. But I can also see the difficulties that our college students are facing of finding a satisfactory job because of the. We we all know that many companies are laying off the workers because of the downward pressure on the economy, and we are already feeling the pressure right now with my class. Classmates, and also in in my addition, in our addition, because of our major like international relations and diplomacy, that our in employment orientation is relatively narrow, so that there is a mismatch between our expectations and the real job market, so that we are facing difficulties.、Mm, but you said you are relatively optimistic. Why is that? Uh, I think I still have just one year to make a plan, and I still have many choices and attempts, and、uh, I need a really clear plan just to have this. So I think the first thing is to have、uh, optimistic thoughts first. All right. So you are pumping up your 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 confidence for your future, although the the prospect may not be so satisfactory. But anyway, you are preparing for that. But、uh, Professor Tang, considering the difference. Between different age groups in terms of、uh, employment numbers, for instance, for the age group 16 to 24 is 20 percent for this April, but for the older population, for instance, from 25 for 59, the unemployment rate is much lower, actually only about four percent or something like that. What accounts for such a big disparity between these different age groups? I think one of the reason、uh, is due to pandemic-related economic slowdown, and many、uh, private sectors were bettered, and they had a mass job cuts, and they were the big employers of graduates, young people, and especially some well-educated young people.、Um, and each year, a great number of millions of fresh graduates enter the job market. And all these interconnected factors contributing to youth unemployment rate. What do you think is the connection between the unemployment number with China's economic transition from one that is very much concentrated on the speed, on the scale of economic expansion, to the quality of the development, Professor Tang? Yes, actually, before the period of COVID-19 pandemic, China already started. Slow down, but I think that represented Chinese government's conscious efforts to slow down the economy、uh, in order to transform uh, the labor-intensive、uh, industry to more service-oriented, knowledge-based economy. So this may unavoidably cause、uh, less job opportunities, but I think. These are the growing pains we need to face.、Mm. Tengu, what is your opinion on what's causing such high unemployment numbers among the 16 to 24-year-olds?、Um, I think it's because、uh, the first is the、uh, pandemic, and also for the economy situation right now. 
And uh, I think there is uh, some students really have a high expectations of the uh, employment and there is a mismatch between it. So yeah. basically you're saying students are uh, looking for jobs of certain kind, but these kind of jobs may not be available on the market. Can you yes. be a little bit more specific? I, yes, I think so. Okay, so uh, for my major, like we all learned that international relations and diplomacy, maybe many of my classmates would like to enter in the examination called the uh, National Examination for admi Admission uh, to Civil Sur Service, mm -hmm. like that. And they would like to uh, combine their uh, major with their work. But uh, sometimes we can only choose something like, like this and there is not so much slots on other companies for us so that we may have high expectations into finding a job with our major, but actually there is no you know, real job market. Not yeah. enough jobs that are related to international yes. relations and diplomacy. What are the preferences of Chinese youth when they're choosing a university discipline vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, yeah, so what do they want to study? What are they looking for? Lawyers or accountants or what are the young people looking for when they go into university? Tianggu. And I think the first is just to combine with their interest. For me, because my interest is into just working in some international organizations or some NGOs. So I'm really interested in the international relations. So I chose this major yeah. and many Students like young people right now would love to do the uh, videos like to be a KOL and they are going to learn the, some international communications or some media related majors mm. so that I think they just need to make a clear thoughts of their uh, future development and then choose their mm. major and find their university yeah. yeah professor tang um actually as we talk about high unemployment among these young people um china actually pr is projecting nearly 30 million manufacturing jobs going unfulfilled by 2025 is there a mismatch really between the education that young people are seeking and the jobs that are being very much needed in the manufacturing sector uh, yes, I think we need to uh, look at youth and employment from the perspective of some inherent problems in higher education system. So uh, I think there is a mismatch between educational goals, curriculum designs, and the requirements of labor market. And so, for example, for a long time, English is the most commonly taught foreign language. Mm -hmm. However, the other foreign languages are less taught. So actually, uh, in job market, there are some jobs available for those people who understand the other foreign languages, but there is a shortage of these people. I see. So very quickly, what is the government doing to address the problem, the mismatch and the high unemployment rate? Professor Tang, really briefly, please. So I think we need to deepen the educational reform to rebalance the structures, uh, to, uh, to make the educational goals and the curriculum designs more in sync with the developments mm. of Chinese economy mm. and the requirements of labor markets. Yeah. Tianggu, are you getting any help or are your peers getting any help in finding jobs? 
I think my school, BFSU, uh, attached great importance into our student employment. As our school has a, a official counseling uh, platform for employ student employment, uh, which will just uh, release corresponding information and have some sharing sessions and inviting all the seniors from all walks of life to share their job hunting experiences and their work experiences. And, th and I think this kind of platform uh, will serve as a uh, information sharing and it's very useful mm. for our graduate students. What if you yeah. don't find a job of your of your choice? What are you going to do, Tengge? I think uh, I would relate it to my internship. Maybe I would just take a gap year for intern okay. um, because I've just uh, involved into internship before, like in the AIB or CDRF. So I think maybe I would just take a gap All year right. if I, I cannot yeah. find an offer. We have to leave it there. Many thanks to Professor Tang Liping of uh, the College of Foreign Languages at Zhejiang Normal University and Tianggu, a postgraduate student from Beijing Foreign Studies University. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, China-U.S. engagement on economic issues increasing when U.S. businesses' interests and geopolitical interests are going in different directions. What do U.S. business community expect in the near future? My exclusive with someone who knows the story inside out. Stay with us. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Is the Chinese market profitable and welcoming for American businesses as ever? For Manuel Menendez, one American businessman who witnessed the whole process of China's reform and opening up, the answer is a definite yes. In the early 1980s, he was the president and CEO of Great Eastern Development, which completed the first China-U.S. equity joint venture for a major Fortune 100 company. He had met many Chinese leaders, including the late Paramount leader Deng Xiaoping, who gave him his Chinese name Meng De Shi, which means a moral gentlemen. Menendez described the Chinese sentiments towards U.S. businesses using the ancient Chinese saying, it's such a delight to have friends coming from afar. Four decades later, why has that not changed for him? How does he view the current lows in bilateral ties? As U.S. businesses in China get caught between business interests and political pressure, what needs to be done to separate business from politics? I had the pleasure to be joined from Beijing by Manuel Menendez, founder and CEO of MCM Group Holdings. I started by asking him how he viewed the recent picking up of engagement between the two sides on commerce and trade. I, I think it's timely, it's important, and I think we have to keep it up. I think we have to keep the frequency of meetings and not have large gaps. I remember when uh, uh, President Biden and President Xi met in Bali. There was high expectations. I was so excited. But then there was a gap uh, uh, in terms of meetings uh, between the U.S. and China. So I'm excited about the now the a new momentum uh, that is uh, uh, becoming more apparent in these recent days. And I think we need to continue that. More meetings, more discussion. There's difficult issues to address. And the only way to resolve them is keep meeting and keep talking and working through uh, e each of those uh, issues one by one. From China's perspective, the United States right now is doing almost everything it 
uh, can to uh, keep that prospect as distant as slowly as possible um, on top of the restrictions that have already been placed on Chinese high-tech enterprises the US uh, is planning reportedly to issue executive orders to restrict restrict US investments in critical sectors such as microchips in China what implications will will such policy have on US businesses trying to operate and and stay here in China yeah, and, and I think that's, that's why I'm advocating a sense of urgency to really uh, work out differences, especially as it relates to uh, economic issues between the two countries. Because there's a lot of, uh, unfortunately, misunderstanding between the intentions of both sides. And I think we just have to work through it. I, I don't know any other, it's just, if you're negotiating a business deal, uh, I think you have to start off with the principle of mutual respect. And then really the hard part is getting to mutual understanding. And if you can get through uh, being aligned to mutual understanding, you can have mutual benefit. And I think we have to do that uh, with a sense of urgency right now. Yes, there are a lot of rules and regulations on both sides that need to be uh, carefully examined and explained uh, what the purpose is. Uh, so there's no misunderstanding. I think we're in a, a period of time where clarity is the most important, really understanding what both sides' uh, intentions are, what both sides mean, so that there's not misjudgments, mis miscalculations, which I think is unfortunately uh, the environment we're in right now because there's just not enough contact at every level. Well, according to your understanding of China and of course from, from your perspective as an American businessman, what is the, the biggest misunderstanding uh, from uh, among the Chinese about American policies and what is, the, what is the biggest misunderstanding the other way around, if you can uh, both raise an example to help people understand? Chinese side, I think Chinese generally feel that the rules and regulations that are being uh, uh, promulgated in the U.S. are anti-China, uh, will want to block China's uh, rise to become the number one power. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's just a general feeling. I think the U.S. side is we have to protect our natural, uh, national interests, uh, and we're doing so uh, by creating these rules and policies. But I think that there's needs to be a line of what that really means. What, what I mean by that is, you know, when you talk about semiconductors that go into um, automobiles and in iPhones or uh, 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 phones here in China, that's one level of semiconductors. There's another level uh, which reaches uh, uh, national security concerns. And I've told my uh, American friends, yeah, if, if there is something that is of our national security interest, yeah, we, we have to restrict that. But on the other side, I try to explain if China had a very, very high-tech device or uh, products, uh, they would not, uh, China would not uh, sell it to not just U.S., but to the world uh, if it was in their best uh, national security interests. But we have to know what that means, and, mm -hmm. and that's, that's why I keep advocating what does that mean? At what level? I mean, there's yeah. many levels of, of semiconductors, so uh, I'm not an expert in it, but, 
but there's some logic that has to come into some of these decisions. Yeah. Well, U.S. businesses here in China seem to be showing less confidence in the prospects of uh, businesses in the country. For instance, uh, one latest MCHAM survey shows that 18 uh, percent uh, of U.S. businesses rank China as number one in their global investment destination plans. That is down from 27 percent, so almost half. Are you concerned about such a trend? Do you think there are still room for business development, for, for, for business profits for U.S. businesses here in China? Yeah, absolutely. I am uh, uh, optimistic uh, that through hard work and better understanding, we will get back onto the right track. I'm confident because the Chinese people are warm-hearted people. And I think the American people are warm-hearted people. I know that sounds so simplistic, but really, you know, all the places I've been and people I meet in China, you know, it's just like the Confucius saying you started off with. They wel China welcomes you uh, and uh, you're friendly or friendly and welcome you. I mean, I think that that is true. And the U.S. is the same. I think the U.S. is a warm-hearted people. But the only way we can uh, uh, solve our differences is more contact and more, and I, I can't advocate that enough, more contact the more dialogue. Um, the market here is big. I mean, Tesla's, you know, selling 500,000 uh, Teslas in the China market. Uh, Elon Musk was just here. Uh, uh, Procter & Gamble, uh, Apple, uh, I think Apple's revenues here are 26 billion. I mean, our economies are intertwined, interconnected. Both countries have done well with each other. Uh, exports is always a political football. You know, China, uh, U.S. exports about um, 150 billion uh, with trades and services. I think it's up around 200 billion. Uh, China exports to the U.S. about 700 billion. So there's a 500 billion dollar difference. But I tell my friends in the U.S. that's not caused by China. It's people who order product in China because it's the best quality at the best price. And yet that, that is what wins in the world. And China has been able to do that. The trade imbalance is not caused by China. It's a, a reality of being China being uh, competitive and making a quality product that's exported to the U.S. Mm -hmm. And some of that's moved. I mean, with COVID, I think the big shift in supply chains, you know, has moved. And then there's this big debate about decoupling. Mm -hmm. I don't think there will we'll be decoupling between ever. Uh, between China and the U.S. I don't see that. I do see that there's some strategic areas like these ones that you just mentioned earlier uh, that are of national security and uh, uh, national security interest. I think those areas will, yes, be blocked or not available, uh, uh, at least in the first generation of, of products. Mm -hmm. but, but everything else, I think the normal day-to-day -day, uh, business will continue. What do you think of the de-risking talk? that has been um, touted these days, especially from Europeans. Um, do you think that makes sense? When you say de-risking, uh, tell me what your understanding of that is. Well, my understanding is that uh, they don't want uh, to be over-dependent on one source of imports, for instance, especially for certain strategic um, commodities or products. They want to make sure that in case there's a crisis or when the relationship becomes strained, they're not choked on the supply of critical materials. I, I think that's what oh, right. they are talking about no, as de-risking. What do you think of that? 
you know, there's an old saying, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So uh, I, I think that is from a business perspective, you want to make sure that you have enough supply chain uh, opportunities and sources so that if there's a hiccup in one area, uh, you can turn on the faucet in another area and then still service uh, your customers' needs. I, I think that's a, a, a wise business decision. But it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you're going to exit uh, the world's second largest economy. Uh, there's just too much uh, opportunity. I've seen it over the, over the four decades mm -hmm. in China where companies have done very, very well here. And I think that there's still another 100 years of opportunity here in China uh, as China keeps, uh, uh, keeps growing and the population uh, uh, becomes more and more successful. You know, there is very much talk about uh, securing the supply chain, uh, diversifying the supply chain, basically along the same line when it comes to China. And uh, they're talking about friendshoring, for instance. I'm sure you're familiar with that phrase. Uh, yes. But on the other hand, on the other hand, uh, since uh, early days of capitalism, um, business or trade is something you cannot make up. You, you know, it's like a very delicate young lady. I don't, I don't remember exactly from whom that sentence that that you know paragraph comes from. You can't force it to go somewhere or do certain things. It will decide according to economic laws. So, uh, how do you look at this whole whole idea of friendshoring? I think you hit the nail on the head. Business decisions are made. Friendshoring or nearshoring are based on uh, looking at uh, the economic decisions. So you, you look at it, if, if I need to move, uh, I have, let's say, 100% of my product is being made in China. Uh, the big aha in China is that in the beginning, China was the world's factory. But now, China still is making many things for the world, but it's also a world market. So there's been a paradigm shift where you can sell in China do well in China and also export. And I think when people look at the economic equation, do I need to friendshore or nearshore to other areas? They will look at it from a business perspective. Does that help me make sure, the, the main motivation, does it make sure that I can deliver products to my, my customers? Can I do it in a timely way? Mm -hmm. COVID, I think, changed the whole dynamic, saying, oh my goodness, things changed. Remember the ports were overflow, uh, you, you couldn't get anything out of a port. Um, so I think it changed the thinking. And, and it used to be also just in time, I, I want to think, uh, send things, my inventory just in time. And now uh, uh, companies have made, ha, have to have made a hard decision to actually have inventory in, in their countries. Right. So I, I think it's an, at the, at the end of the day, I think it's a, an economic uh, decision. I think it's also a political risk decision. Uh, people say, well, is this, is this um, a, a, a country or this area have a tremendous p a political risks? And if you look at all the uh, data that's out on the market, the amount of FDI that still comes into China, the amount of investment that still comes into China, as well as the U.S., uh, indicates that people think this is a very safe and stable market. All right. We have to leave it there. Many thanks. And it is our shared uh, hope that uh, relations between the two sides stabilize. Manuel Menendez, founder and CEO of MCM Group Holdings. Thank you very much. My, my great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Li Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Li Xin in Beijing. You've got The Point. Thank you.